Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I am excited to introduce my guest today, Brandon Webb. Brandon is a combat decorated Navy SEAL sniper turned into entrepreneur who has built two brands into eight figure businesses. He's also a YPO member, which I found out about when I was reading his book, Mastering Fear, which I really liked. I got all kinds of tidbits on how to embrace fear and how to stretch my zone of competency rather than my comfort zone uh, and all other kinds of interesting things. So I reached out to him to say, hey, as a fellow YPO, or do you want to come on my show? And he agreed. Brandon has a fascinating story of leaving home at 16, home being a sailboat in Tahiti, uh, when he got into an argument with his dad. And his story is one of resiliency and bouncing back and learning how to not just embrace fear, but master fear. And he shares all these stories in his books and we talk about it uh, in this interview as well. We also talk a little bit about controversy. Brandon has been surrounded by some controversy in his time after leaving the Navy, and we talk about how he bounces back from that. Uh, he's also crashed and burned uh, in his first startup and rebuilt uh, a successful company a second time. He has multiple best-selling books, both nonfiction and fiction, uh, The Red Circle, Steel Fear, to name a few. And he is a fun, fun guy, and I really appreciate this interview. So I hope you enjoy. So hang tight, and I'll be right back with Brandon. All right, welcome back, everyone. I am very excited for you to meet my guest, Brandon Webb. Brandon, thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Carrie. All right, so you left home at 16. Tell us a little bit about your story and how it shaped you as an adult. Um, yeah, I, I, so a little bit of background why I left uh, or was asked to leave. <laughs> um, my father um, is Canadian, uh, mom's American. He, he picked my mom up hitchhiking in Malibu. They, they got married, went to Canada. He built a construction business and then lost everything during the savings and loans crisis in Canada. And my mom and him had this dream to live on a boat and take their family cruising. So uh, they decided that, you know what, screw it, life's too short. They bought a 47 foot catch in Vancouver, moved my sister and I onto the boat. We sailed down to California and lived on the boat for five years. And um, first big trip we took was to Mexico for about a year was incredible. I, I was, I think, 11 years old. Just an amazing experience. Um, you know, I was running around Cabo San Lucas with flip-flops when there was the main harbor, there was one dock. Um, if you've been to Cabo or anyone listening, there was nothing. There was one dock and donkeys, like burrows roaming the streets. Like, it was crazy. Um, but incredible time. I was kind of homeschooled that year. We came back. We're living on the boat. It was, you know, it was cheap to live. You know, the boat was paid for. Um, my dad was working project management, uh, big like tilt-up concrete construction in Los Angeles, um, and saving up for this big round-the-world sailing trip. Well, in the meantime, my mom got me a job. Um, she said, 
Uh, she came back. She's always trying to keep me out of trouble. Which I love my mom for that. She's like, keep, keep Brandon busy or else, you know, uh, he's going to get into something. So she said, hey, the scuba diving boat is looking for a kid to work the summer for tips. And the, and the captain and the owner will teach you how to scuba dive. I'm like, and I was sweeping and mopping up uh, the chandlery, like this boat store. And it was a, it was, it was just like the worst job ever, like cleaning toilets and, but that kind of stuff, I think builds character, but I was, it was clear, like, this is not what I want to do. Like even at, you know, 12, 13 years old. So this boat job sound incredible. So I took the job, um, was an incredible, like Jacques Cousteau experience. We had a private chef on the boat. Um, I learned how to dive, you know, fast forward a couple years. I'm this, I'm like a very competent deckhand. I'm working summers and weekends as I'm in school, making really good money. Like I would make probably, you know, a hundred bucks a day. And as a 15 year old kid, that's pretty good money when you have no overhead, right? It's all going to the bottom line. So my dad sits us down, like we go out to dinner and he sits the whole family down. He says, look, I don't want to be the guy who's always talking about taking this trip around the world and never doing it. And, and, you know, there are those people in the Harbor community that are always talking about the dream, you know, and, and I did appreciate that about my dad. He's like, we're going to go do it. Like we've saved the money. Um, we may even consider immigrating to Australia, you know, to start, start new, but we're going to do it. And, but at that time I was about to turn 16. I was like six months away from being, turning 16. It was not, you know, Brandon, the teenager, what I wanted to do was go on this crazy sailing adventure. I'm like, I'm making good money. I want to get my driver's license. I'm chasing girls with my friends. Like, um, I don't want to go, but I ended up going. The Mexico part was great. We sailed from Ventura, California, down to Baja, from Cabo over to the mainland, all the way down, like Ixtapa, Mazatlan, Manzanillo, Puerto Varda, Acapulco. And the plan was to go from Acapulco to the Marquesas Islands, kind of shoot over to the South Pacific. And uh, we did that. It was 30-day passage. We go to Tahiti. We, we ended up getting to the Marquesas Islands, like Nuka Hiva, Hiva Oa. My dad and I started really going head-to-head on seamanship i was saying look we should switch this the anchor we had a plow anchor up in the bow and it was mostly for sand and mud bottoms um we had a bruce anchor that we weren't using that i'd salvaged as a diver um, and, and look you talk about mastering fear um which you read you you know the story of me getting woken up at like 13 years old to, to dive on this anchor in the middle of the night. Like I had been there, overcome the fear. I, I'd seen like how anchors function cause I'd have to get them unstuck so many times. And my dad and I arguing, arguing over seamanship. It was like having two captains on the boat. When, when I got to Tahiti, he's, we had this big blow up and almost, almost came, almost got physical. My mom is crying and then my dad's like, look, I think you should go. <laughs> so, so that's like, that's the whole story. Um, I was stubborn. I grabbed my backpack, some cash, and I said, see you later. I mean, and, and look, it wasn't like my dad pitched me over the side into the, on my own. It was kind of like, okay, it's time for you to go. Let's, what's your plan? And kind of, you know, we made a plan. I found a boat that was sailing to Hawaii crewed on that, on that, and then kind of went 
went back to California, got my job back, finished school on my own and joined the Navy. Some people are like, oh, your parents are so, so, so cruel. I'm like, no, actually it was for me at that time in my life, it was probably a gift. Um, and it was a real turning point and I had to deal with adversity. Like I was, I was afraid, like, you know, I cried myself to sleep the first three nights going, what the hell did I just do? You know, and my family's gone. And, and, um, this was before cell phones. Right. Um, so I had to like mail letters back and forth. Um, but I think it, you know, those kind of moments build their kind of character building and it, and it taught me to be on my own and deal with a lot of adversity. And the SEAL, Navy SEAL community always hires these consultants to come in like McKinsey and they're trying to figure out what makes a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, very simple. Like the, the, the people that go into the program that don't quit, they've all been through adversity. Like the incredibly accomplished, you know, and nothing against them. Like, families that have kind of sheltered and protected the kids and they've been athletically gifted, um, you know, scholars, some cases, full scholarship swimmers and athletes, they get to the SEAL program and, and then they get their teeth kicked in and they're like, oh my God, like they've never had to experience something like that because they, they're not equipped with the tools. They don't have the, the kind of self, um, you know, the kind of um, the tools to, to kind of deal with that adverse environment. But anyway, very long answer to your first question. No, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And, and, and I agree with you completely. I mean, I, I am sitting literally here where I am today because of overcoming, you know, pretty significant adversity. And I think that, you know, it's the grit that makes you be able to persevere and, and be a CEO, be a SEAL, you know, do really hard things. I always wonder why people are so afraid of doing hard things. In fact, I coach my son on it all the time, like, hey, you know, you want to be, you want to do this, you want to be a pro BMXer, well, guess what? It's going to be a lot of really hard things, you know? And just yeah. trying to like ingrain that in like an eight-year-old because you're right, you know, you got to be able to bounce back when life punches you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as a parent too, you gotta, it's a fine line, but you do have to let your kids off the leash to, you know, experience that failure for themselves. Like being overprotective is just not setting them up for life because life, life is fucking hard, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and nobody gets out unscathed. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I am that kind of mom too. let my son deal with it and, and make him go deal with it. Like how yeah. great, well, you screwed up. How are you going to go be accountable for it? And I made him do that at the first time when he was five years old, he stole a, like a racer or something from school. And then he told me and he was like freaking out. I was like, what? You have to go tell your teacher, you know? So it's like, I'm not only like, you know, being accountable is, is hard. And so how do you teach kids how to be able to bounce back and how to own it so that when really hard things happen in life, you can, you know, not just like survive, but actually thrive. Yeah. 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 That's great. Great to hear. So tell me, uh, before we jump into being a seal and fear, how long was it before you talked to your dad again and what's your relationship with him, with him like now? We, so we, we always, ha we always talked like there were, I don't, I wouldn't say the relationship was, was scorched to earth. Um, it was kind of me just kind of coming of age and him surrendering to that. He's like, okay, go, go do your thing. Um, 
we did have an issue when I joined the Navy. Um, he, they, they went to New Zealand. They made it to New Zealand. They came back, and my dad, I, I think, had, you know, you could call it a midlife crisis, right? He was in his forties. He was like, you know, the boat was in New Zealand. And he's like, okay, now what do I do? Um, and he ended up leaving my mom, and my mom you know, kind of in this purgatory state. And eventually my mom, after years, she's like, okay, he's not coming back. Like he, he left for a big job in, in Bakersfield. And when she filed for divorce, you know, uh, you know, look, divorces, even when it, I had a good divorce, but even a good, when it's good, it's very difficult. Yeah. But the last, the last three years have been really, really good. Like we've, We've talked weekly usually, and it's just something I, I decided, look, nobody's perfect. Yeah. I got to love my dad on my own terms and, you know, and, and that's it. And, and I realized I actually wrote him a letter for Christmas um, apologizing for judging him because, look, I'm old enough now and made a, enough mistakes to realize that nobody's perfect. Like, and especially as, you know, you and I are parents, we realize, too, that we're not perfect and we make sometimes terrible mistakes that we, we wish we could take back. And so I wrote him this letter and I said, look, I, I really, I, you know, I, I know now that I was a little too hard on you and, and I appreciate my dad. I mean, my dad, my dad's a self-made guy. He's not a cajillionaire, but he's done well for himself all with on his own. He's, he had the guts to take his family halfway around the world at a time where there was no GPS. Like they were using sextants, like the old timers. Um, that takes that takes guts, you know. And and so I said, you you've instilled like the spirit of adventure in me and my sister, and and I really am grateful for that. So I just like focused on the stuff that I was really grateful for as a as a son. And I, I mean, he broke down in tears, and it, it was it was nice. So. That's good. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing that story. Um, I'm always yeah. curious. Uh, I was curious about it uh, after after reading the book. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I should. Yeah, I should have mentioned it. Yeah, everybody asks me the same question. Yeah, of course. Well, I think we all have had issues with one parent or another. You know, so yeah. I think that it's relatable. It certainly is for me. All right, let's talk about fear of failure because um, you talk a lot about that in your new book, Mastering Fear. Uh, and, and you learned a lot, I'm sure, from being in the Navy. So what did being in the Navy, especially being a Navy SEAL, specifically teach you about fear, in particular, your fear of failure? My experience in the Navy, just my life experience, but, but a lot of it in the, in the Navy SEALs, especially, um, because you do a lot of scary things. Like we made it, we're really good at mitigating risks, but look, you're jumping out of an airplane at 20,000 feet on oxygen in the middle of the night, or, or you're or you're diving five hours, you know, in a, in a harbor, which is full of noisy ships with big propellers and you can't see any, you can't see six inches in front of your face. Um, so there are these scary environments, but I, I think, you know, having had to face many fears over and over again and, and realizing that, you know, making a habit out of it, has been um, what I think I really gained from the Navy. And, and, and so like changing my relationship with fear to one of like, okay, I get it. It's, um, and, I, and I think 
one of the most pivotal times of me serving in the Navy SEALs um, and dealing with fear was, I talk about it in the book, um, I was a new SEAL at SEAL Team 3 about to go to parachute training school. I'd already been through like static line where you kind of jump out of a plane and it with a cord, it just pulls your chute right away. Uh, but, but skydiving, like as everyone thinks about it, that was like the next phase in training. And I, I'd finished sniper school. Um, one of my good friends, Mike Bearden, some, somebody I really looked up to had, had been in the class ahead of me and died in this terrible accident. His, his main parachute got tangled um, to the point it wouldn't open. He, he cut it away um, and it, it, it didn't cut away completely. So his reserve chute like went into the main chute and it just was like this, we call it a cigarette roll. Um, he fought it all the way to the ground and, and died tragically left behind a, you know, I think his son was three, four years old. It was just brutal, you know, was having to deal with, with losing someone like Mike. And I'm thinking like, God, this is a guy I really looked up to and I'm about to go to this training. Like it really scared me. I'm like, this could happen to me. Like it got real. Like, um, and they always talk about in seal training the instructors, like you're going to, you're going to lose a few classmates and you, you know, you, you're young and you think, oh, okay, yeah, you just kind of shrug it off. But when it happens, it's like, it becomes very real. So that was, I was definitely scared and I'm like, you know what, but I just got to do it. And, um, I went, did my training, um, you know, first time jumped out of the airplane by myself. There's, they had, a, I had an instructor jump out behind me, but there's no tandem jumping. It's like, okay, there's the door jump. <laughs> so it's, it was, uh, and once I was out, it was, it became skydiving became something that I really enjoyed. Um, and it's a very safe sport or an activity if, if managed, um, if you manage the risk appropriately, but you know, having to do stuff like that and deal with the internal things and over and over and over again, you get to the point where, and then also what I was mentioning earlier about my, one of my most, um, uh, probably one of my best experiences in the SEAL teams was uh, coming back from Afghanistan, being an instructor, a sniper instructor, getting asked to join this cadre that was redesigning the sniper program and having access to some of the world's top um, managers and coaches in the world, like guys that were co men and women who are coaching Olympic gold medalists and, and learning that the there's these like fundamental traits that make a champion. Um, and they realize that fear and the nervousness of competition is actually what propels us forward to greatness. I, I can't think of any world record that's been broken in practice, right? Or it takes this like, pressure of competitive environment whether it's business or sports to produce like to pull that great stuff out of us and so when you realize that you welcome it i do a lot of public speaking i still get nervous but i realize that nervous energy is good like you got to harness it to to your advantage and so that's what i think the navy has, has really taught me and you know I, I think people would be a, a lot of people they have this stereotype of what Navy SEALs are, how they should look, you know, all the time we have like, oh, you don't look like a Navy SEAL, like, but they're expecting this like Arnold Schwarzenegger predator poster, you know. Um, so 
Um, and, I, and I think they're surprised, like, wow, you, you're actually vulnerable and you, you're telling us that you're afraid of stuff. Well, yeah, everybody is afraid. If you're telling someone you're not afraid of something, you're, you're lying or you're insane, really. Um, and, and so, yeah, and, and I talk about it at the beginning of the book that what inspired me to write Mastering Fear was I became really good friends with Kamal Ravikant, um, whose brother, many people know, is Naval. Uh, who started Angelist. Naval's pretty prolific on social media. Um, Kamal's an incredible guy. I, I found out he didn't know how to swim. He was had this made like fear of the water. And he was asking me, hey, do you, can you recommend some programs? I really want to deal with this. Um, and, and just think about that for a moment, like how much pleasure we get going to a pool or to the beach and swimming. It's such a nice thing. Uh, jumping off a boat into the water and imagine now like your parents never taught you how to swim and you're in these like social settings where it's you're afraid like you're, I remember Kamal went on this trip to Turkey on a sailboat and he was everyone's jumping off the boat and he's just kind of like holding back you know it's just like as an adult I can't even imagine it so I said look give me a week let me let me teach you how to swim and he's like well you know he's you know, people have tried, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think he's expecting me to just like throw him in the water, right? Like Navy SEAL, tough guy. <laughs> but I, I knew that he had, he was going to be afraid of the water. And so I, I approached it. I, I borrowed from all this mental management stuff I learned as a sniper instructor, working with all these amazing coaches. And I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta like do this baby steps. And so I just, you know, Okay, I know you're not gonna, you don't like to put your face in the water. Okay, we're gonna do this a hundred times until he got bored about it. And he's like, okay, I, on to the next. And so by Monday, this was somebody that was like gripping the side of the pool with fear. And Friday, he cannonballed into the pool. He could sink himself to the deep end, 15 feet. You know, he's not gonna win any Olympic swim races, but he was a competent swimmer and he was like, you changed my life. Like you really need to write a book about this. He's like, you taught me how to deal with my fear in a way nobody else has done. And you need to write a book. And I sent an email. This is the only book proposal that I've got accepted by email. I wrote a email short, you know, a couple paragraphs explaining what I just told you. My agent, Alyssa forwarded it to Penguin Random House and uh, Brianne, she's like, yeah, we'll buy it. Done deal, here's the offer. I'm like, oh, that was easy. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite books because I think it's helped a lot of people you know, deal with, deal with their issues. Um, and as you know, like we were talking about before we started to hit the record button, life is too short. Like It's too short to be stuck in a career you don't like, a relationship that isn't working not take the trip you want to take. It's just like, uh, that's another, it's kind of a gift losing, you know, a few really close friends in my, in my twenties, um, really taught me. I'm like, you gotta just make the time to do it, do the things you want to do. Yeah. I like what you said about mental management, emotional management. And one of the things you talk about in the book is not losing your head when everyone else is, around you is losing theirs. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's a critical trait. Like I always am like cool, calm and collected, right? Even though sometimes I just want to like, you know, lose my shit. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? <laughs> cool, calm and collected. So what do you do when you feel yourself getting amped up? Like how do you go through that mental and emotional management when the pressure is on? Yeah, and it it takes a lot to get me to that point, but I, I can get there. <laughs> um, you know, it's, you know, and I call it like coming back to center, um, you know, breathing, meditation, reflection. I think that that all really helps, um, but it does, it takes an awful lot to get me to that place. Even like I've had people you know, look, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, as an entrepreneur, I've been as stressed or more stressed out than I have been in actual combat with, with people shooting at me. Um, you know, business is incredibly stressful, especially when you're, you're in a leadership position. Um, you know, I, I've lost employees to suicide. Um, you know, I've had business partners go crazy. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and people, you know, I'm always, I'm always shocked at, you know, people's, people's emotional reactions to things and especially their attempts to kind of like get under my skin. And I'm just like, look, I just, I think that's a part of it is like choosing how we react to certain scenarios or situations. And, and, and I've seen it in combat and enough times in like, very high risk training that cooler heads always prevail. And so I just kind of come back to that point. I go, okay, this is not like, why am I gonna respond in kind? It's better to kind of take the, sometimes swallow your pride and, and take a different route. Um, but yeah, it happens all the time. Like I was dealing with a situation this morning. I, I own a self storage property. My son who's in college manages it for us. He's done an incredible job taking a, we bought a distressed uh, storage business in Orlando, was 50% occupancy. Hunter has done everything on his own with me kind of coaching him. We're at 100% occupancy, like within six months of buying the property, he got us to 100% occupancy. Every, everyone migrated from paper leases to online payments. Um, so it's been this like huge learning experience for him and I've been super proud and it's, it's actually brought us closer together because I was afraid of the family dynamic. Um, but so the insurance was up and I said, okay, go out and get us some quotes. And he's, you know, he's kind of, I'm just kind of letting him learn, you know, I'm like, oh, we should have done this like last month, but okay. I'm, I'm just going to stay out of it. Right. So it got to the point where the policy expires in like four weeks. The insurance, the insurance broker we inherited from the, the couple that we bought the property off and we, they financed it for us because I was worried we closed on it right as they were locking down in, in 2020, right? With COVID. And I'm like really nervous. I actually went to my YPO forum mate who's a, in real estate. I was like, Hey, is this a good idea? He's like, you're safe, self-storage. It's a great business. Um, recession proof, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, um, so we got really good owner financing, but the, the owners, 
gave us their broker and, and we were shopping the policy, right? And But the broker wrote this like really derogatory email and CC'd the owners. And I'm like, that's just unprofessional. Like, oh, well, they have a right to know. They're the first mortgage holder. I was like, wait a minute. You don't realize like, I'm the customer here. Like, and you're just throwing me under the bus, like creating all this drama and everything. And I just like, you're fired. Like you're done. Like, why would you, why would you like, how is this building a relationship with me? You're, I'm your customer, yep. you know, but it's just, it never, I mean, my friend used to tell me business would be easy if the people weren't involved. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes that's the case, but it just blows me away. But I was something I was dealing with this morning and I'm like, okay. And I just went to my YPO buddy who owns an agency. I was like, Hey, just take over the poli existing policy. Yeah. Um, it was that easy. He's like, yeah, no problem. You know, but yeah. I think that's uh, a, great that's like a mild example, right? Like yeah. you, you and I probably could tell some battle stories. Yeah. But. yeah. But yeah, I think it's a great example because you could, you could be like super frustrated and get angry, but what is that going to get you? It doesn't change anything. And I think that's an important thing. That's what I tell myself. It's like, I have yeah. two like tips, like, all right, how do I want people to experience me? Uh, when this interaction is over and you know my goal is always a positive outcome even if it's a hard situation so you know me losing my temper isn't gonna cause that and I also always relate it back to athletics like I'm an athlete and every time like I get frustrated and try harder right my performance plummets oh yeah like you're in the yeah. flow and letting things go so it's like think like an athlete right so how do you stay in that in that flow and and i think that translates really well to keeping your cool yeah. you know and and so those are some of the things that i use and so don't don't get mad you know i don't want people to experience me this way and yeah. that always helps me even in in covid you know people were afraid and my employees were afraid we we sold a we had an e-commerce business I ended up selling because uh, our supply chain blew up from COVID. But um, I, I just was like, you know what? I'm going to like, I, this is a time for me to really show my team that I'm calm, cool and collected. And, and I, and, and I just thought about, okay, how can I take care of them? And my, my old CMO, who's now a business partner of mine in a separate business, she called me and she's like, Hey, I really appreciate Like I was freaking out and just having you like chart the course for us was really, really settling. And, and thank you for that. And that, that was great to hear. And, and, and I, with COVID in general, I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to just like, you know, I, I watched as much Netflix as the next person, but I was like, I'm not going to waste this time feeling sorry for myself. And I'm going to use this as like a real opportunity. I had an incredible 2020. It was one of my best years. I sold a novel, my first novel for a record advance. It got picked up for by NBC Universal or Peacock as their streaming series or their streaming network. Like I, I did a lot of things in 2020. Um, I had a great pandemic. Like <laughs> I'm still having a great pandemic. And it's just like, proves like you it's all about our relationship to the situation we can either accept it and make the best out of it or or, or default to you know the the opposite of that and, and i think you know you've seen it in sports and, and ypo most of ypoers have a solution mindset they're like okay that it's a problem i get it but there's no use like pointing fingers and 
getting upset and, and, you know, continuing to talk about the problem, let's figure out how to solve it. And that's very, those two mindsets are very different. I agree. I agree. So that's a good kind of segue to go backwards because having a great pandemic and a great 2020, you were always in that situation. In fact, you bounced back from what many would probably consider total failure. So how, you know, how did you use your mastery of fear and, and getting over that feeling of like, oh, am I a failure to rebuild, you know, to have, you know, a highly successful media company now? So, um, you know, when I left the Navy, it was, I was like mid, mid career point, had a really good career and very few, very few people were supportive of me leaving. Cause I had advanced, uh, pretty quickly. Um, I got promoted. I ran the sniper program on the West coast for the seal seal community. Um, but I was burnt out and it goes back to that first story. I, uh, was telling about my, my first job cleaning, cleaning, uh, the boat store and scrubbing toilets. Um, when I got my, when I went from that job to the dive boat, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I'm doing, a, I'm working my butt off, but it, it's like pure enjoyment. Like I love what I do. I get to, I'm filling scuba tanks. I'm serving customers dinner. I'm, I'm diving. Um, it, it's just like this amazing job. I was like, I, I want my career to be like this. Even though I remember thinking that as like 13, 14 years old. So when I was, you know, in 2006, I had kind of reached burnout in the SEAL teams. I'm like, okay, it was an amazing career. I got to go overseas and, you know, in as much as war, war can be terrible. Um, it was, you know, no SEAL wants to go through all that training and never kind of put themselves in the arena and see if they have what it takes, you know, to, to kind of in that combat environment. Um, it's a whole nother story we can talk about kind of purpose when I, I felt like there was a lot of purpose behind my deployment in 2001 to Afghanistan. It was right after the terrorist attacks. We had a very clear strategy to eradicate these training camps in Afghanistan and kind of push the terrorists on the back heel. And, and we did that. It was a very clear plan beyond 2003 afghanistan you know without getting into it turned into my my generation vietnam like 20 years plus we're, we're just pulling out now it's just it makes me sick but um so i decided to leave in 2006 for my family um ryan zinke was my commanding officer at the time ryan ended up being a congressman in montana and, and was actually um appointed to the uh, Secretary of Interior by President Trump. Um, Ryan was a great guy. Like, he was one of the few guys that said, look, I get it. You got to take care of your family. Um, I got a lot of crap for leaving when I did because they're like, oh, you you just got promoted to chief petty officer, which is a big deal in the Navy. You're wasting this billet and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, I'm, I've given the Navy enough. Like, I'm ready to go. So I left. I started. I got into entrepreneurship. My parents are entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I'll condense the story, but I lost my first startup, all my life savings. It just, it kind of coincided with the 2008 financial crisis. Um, I found myself no money in the bank. Um, I took money from friends and family, my mom included. Uh, at the time, you know, my wife and I were trying to work on a relationship. We decided in therapy that 
it was time to end it. Um, so now I found myself and she's like, oh, by the way, I, I need to, I want to move up to my parents' ranch and school starting. And I, literally, so the decision was made and not a week later, I was in a house by myself. Kids are gone. And I was like coaching my son's little league. Now I'm left in this house all by myself having to like deal with questions and people are terrible, right? Like they know what happened, but they're still like, oh, where's your wife? Where's your kids? Um, I'm having to field all these uncomfortable questions, call the little league kind of organization, tell them, look, I can't coach next year. Um, it was tough. And then like losing everything on top of that. So I was like, look, I was never like contemplating. I joke about it in the book about throwing myself off the Coronado Bridge, but <laughs> I was never like that to that point, but it was a low point in my life. Um, you know, I cried, I was upset. I'm like, what do I do with myself? I, it was the first time I, I, I dealt with a ton of adversity, but nothing, I felt like I was a total failure. Like I'm like, I lost everything. What did I do? And, and then I was like, wait a minute. I just, it started to kind of come together for me. And I, I said, going back to my, my good friend, Lanny Bastrom, who wrote an amazing book called with winning in mind. I, I mentioned it in, in mastering fear. I said, I need to just focus on like all the positive experiences here that, okay, my wife or my ex and I decided to have a good post divorce relationship for the kids. You know, the, not everyone is lucky to have a good co-parent. She's an amazing mom. Her and I have a great relationship to this day. I was like, that's a bonus. I went from like not knowing anything about business, not like being intimidated by reading a profit and loss and a balance sheet statement. to now I understand that. I know how to raise debt, equity. Okay, worst case, I could join the Navy again. Like the Navy would take me back. Okay, I'm not as bad off as I think, you know? And, and so I think when you start, when you make that decision to kind of focus on the positive and kind of extract all the benefits out of whatever bad situation you're in, you just, you just start looking at things differently, right? And, and nobody, I, I talk about this too, nobody wants to climb to the top of Mount Everest with, with a lead climbing guide that is going to start just quoting these terrible statistics about how most people don't make it. You're going to die. The altitude gets you, blah, blah, blah. They want to go with the guys like the man or woman. that's like, Hey, we're going to make it to the top. Like Absolutely. no matter what, like, we're going to do this. Like <laughs> I want to follow that person. Right. So, um, as a leader, it, it really matters, um, yeah. how you deal with these situations. So that back to my CMO, Alda calling me, that was like, one of the best, you know, things I, I could have had someone say to me, um, and, and look, words are powerful too. Like I, I think a lot of leaders don't realize how far an attaboy goes to somebody too. Like it, it could make someone's year, you know, like all that did with me. Um, but anyway, that, that was my, my dark moment. Um, and yeah, I was, I owed people money. Like I didn't just lose everything. I, I owed people money. So <laughs> Uh, I had to bounce back. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it really is a remarkable story. And why did you start a media company? How did all of that come into play? That's a great question. So I started writing for magazines um, as a almost a form of therapy. 
I didn't realize it at the time, but it was like I was expressing a lot of my own feelings about loss, um, what was happening in the world, my frustration with foreign policy, um, you know, a lot of this stuff. So that's kind of what started it. Then I got asked to blog for military.com. I really enjoyed it. They asked me shortly to be the editor of this blog for them. Um, at the time, I I was working for L3 Communications. I, um, they hired me to as an executive, trained me up. I, my an amazing mentor, uh, woman boss named Elisa, um, just hard as nails engineer, like very tough for a woman to make it in the defense world. And she ended up becoming president of the division. Um, she was incredible. Um, but I, I realized after a couple of years at L3 that I just wasn't cut out for, you know, putting a suit and tie on and having to come to the office every day. And, and, and I, I kind of wanted to get away from that. I didn't want to go visit the base <laughs> all around the, the army bases and Navy bases anymore. So, um, I was having so much more fun running this blog make, and they were paying me peanuts, um, that I said, you know what? I think there's, I noticed that there was all this interest back in 2012 in the world of special operations. So you had like the video games, the movies were coming out, but there was nothing really on the internet that kind of like was producing content about this world, like the interviews and the stories. Um, Cause every time I would write a story about or interview one of my friends that was like, like Chris Kyle, the American sniper, people were just like this massive interest and mostly from mostly like a male demographic that was just like the high drive alpha male that was like, Oh man, I, I would have done that if I could have. And, you know, it's like investment bankers, real estate guys and stuff like that. Um, so I decided to start my own website. Uh, and then, um, military.com tried to buy it. Um, I would have partnered with them. It just wasn't the right fit. Uh, so I launched it on my own USAA federal credit union came to me through their agency. The same time my book came out, the red circle in 2012, um, a guy at an agency for USAA said, wow, Brandon's got this site, like let's do something together. So I, I ended up selling a pretty big advertising video campaign. Um, that was like five times my my yearly salary at L3. So I gave them my notice and got into digital media that way and, and got into podcasting, doing our own like video production. So now we're an indie publisher of military, military books, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, I built an e-commerce brand off the audience, end up selling that. Um, yeah, it's been a great ride and, and the, I still run the media company today. Um, my goal is to kind of now with the book publishing, we just started that, uh, over a year ago, but we're, we're trying to, to pick some like really good books and then do what Marvel comics does. Right. We, or, or di Disney did back in the day, they take this content and monetize it in other ways. So I'm, I'm trying to get us more shows on Netflix, uh, get us a video game. So we get a foothold into esports. um, so yeah, that that's that's what I'm doing today. It's uh, it's a great story, and uh, and I've read your writing. I'm a writer too. I'm working on my first book, and I'm a blogger. So uh, yeah, I've gone in and read several of your articles, and I can tell that you have a passion for it. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
Sometimes and, it gets me in trouble, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's speak about trouble. Uh, so you have had your fair share of controversy. Um, what has controversy taught you about mastering fear and about leadership? Oh, that's a good one. Um, and look, I'll, I'll share, I'll share something very controversial. So, um, when I, when I started, um, my media company, SoftRep, a few years down the line, we started, the writers that, that were on the team started um, writing about stuff that they would read something, say, in, in one of the big newspapers, and they were like, that's not right. Like, that's totally wrong. And, and they, would, they would go and get the source and tell the right story. And then all of a sudden, you know, New York Times starts emailing us and CNN, you know, I started developing a relationship with Anderson Cooper's team. Um, and we were like, I wasn't setting out to have a news organization, but we were breaking some news. And still today we're, we're like 20% news, um, mostly like foreign policy, domestic security issues. But, um, I started getting guys from my community coming to me and saying, look, there's these really bad things happening because now we're been, we've been at war like 10 years and you know, I'm and it was like war crime type stuff, like embezzling official taxpayer money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, hitting targets in Afghanistan purely for financial motive, like not, not even caring about, you know, military importance. Um, basically just like hitting targets to steal gold and cash. Um, like, stuff that you only see, you think you only see in the movies. Um, but when you look at back, um, I talked to Oliver Stone a couple years ago uh, and he was a Vietnam veteran and you know, that movie platoon, if ever the listeners remember that, there's some crazy stuff in that movie that that stuff happens and it happens today. So, um, these guys were coming to me and giving me like real evidence and it's, kind of a little bit scary. And I was like, well, now I know about this stuff. What do I do? And I, one of my friends was running a big newspaper at the time. And he's like, look, you're too close to this. Take it to the, the major command and just let them know and hopefully they'll fix it. And you don't have to deal with it. Well, I did that. They just wanted to know who I was talking to. They wanted names. Um, it's like a really shitty situation to find yourself in. Um, and so, and I had the New York times at this time hounding me because other people were going out, giving them information. So they knew a couple reporters knew about it uh, at the New York times and elsewhere. So I ended up, I ended up kind of like turning over what I had to them and letting them run with it and just kind of like going, uh, I'm done with it. You know, I, I filed the official IG inspector general report. Um, they they asked if they could release my name and information to NCIS. I said, absolutely not. They did it anyway. Like it caused me a tremendous amount of stress. Like NCIS went around knocking on my neighbor's doors in Lake Tahoe at the time. I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to like do some good here and you're shaking me down. Like this is crazy. Like I'm the guilty party. I've been out of the military for years at this point. Um, but it really showed me how like the system inside the military 
uh, whistleblower is broken. And, and that's why you, it produces a situation like Edward Snowden, right? So um, the point of this whole thing is there were a lot of people really angry and afraid, like guys, guys that were dealing with post-traumatic stress, like in the military, who have probably done some really bad things because um, they've been over-deployed, yeah. deployed, deployed, deployed over and over again, over-traumatized. Now, like, they're thinking of me like, oh, Brandon's got my livelihood in his hands, right? Like, he's could send me to jail. So I had kind of an unhinged former teammate um, who was into drugs and alcohol shop a story on me. My friends in the New York Times said, hey, there's this kind of like guy shopping this hit piece on you. It's like, it's not really, they just kind of tipped me off. Well, um, and please, I'll ask your listeners, don't go click on it because I'm trying to get it off first page of Google. <laughs> People love drama, but anyway, this story came out about how I was embezzling my, or not embezzling, embellishing my combat. And the reporter called me, I remember this, I was in Oregon on a book tour at Powell's Books. He called me on Friday. He's like, hey, I just want, like, what do you think of this? I was like, well, it's it's not true. Like, my record is public. You can, I'll share all my documents, my awards, my official military record. What triggered this was a men's journal interviewed me and Staten, the reporter, got, um, he quoted me as like, um, as a sniper in Afghanistan, I did a lot of reconnaissance missions and we would call in close air support. And he said that we called in bombs within 50 meters and it should have been 500. And so the, this person in question used this as like, oh, see, Brandon's, Brandon's embellishing, right? Um, so this reporter called Men's Journal. Men's Journal, same thing on a Friday, Staten and I talked. He's like, he said, well, they're not going to consider running something until next week. And he gave me till Monday to... I told him it was a, an error on my part. This was the state in the reporter. He's like, I, I looked at my notes. I was wrong, but I can't officially address this until I talk to the men's journal lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And the guy just ran the story Sunday regardless, like totally irresponsible. And um, it hurt. Like all of a sudden, you know, it, it was like, nobody wants to see that. And people are sending it to me. Oh, have you seen this? I'm like... Well, fucking course I've seen it. Like, why are you sending this to me? So um, it, it really sucked. Um, I had to hire a crisis PR person, explain the whole story in, in like much more detail than I, I just did. So it was like this concerted effort to discredit me is eventually is what it was boils down to. Now, this guy, Dwayne, he used to do crisis management for Pepsi Cola. He's like, look, this is all they can dig up on you, man. Like you're, you're good to go. Like <laughs> they can't, they can't mess with you ever again. So, um, it, but it sucked and it was a crisis 100%. Um, even my own family were like freaking out. Um, you know, I started a foundation to help, you know, fam victims of, uh, uh, war, um, after my best friend was killed in Libya, one of the CIA contractors and, the CIA didn't want to pay the life insurance policy. Um, so I started this foundation to kind of give people money, families money to deal with that stuff. Um, but it was like, it was like one of my biggest post Navy crises aside from like losing everything. But I, I, I think those moments 
it can either destroy you or make you stronger. And it's made me stronger. The, the benefit of a crisis like that is you really know who has your back. And that's something that to, to like go through that fire and come out the other side and know, like look around and see who's standing beside you. That is an incredibly precious gift. And I was like, okay, I know now. I know who has my back. And, and so you just start looking at the positives again, right? You're, you're kind of forced to look at, okay, how does this make me a, a better person, a better leader? Um, and yeah, and it makes you stronger. And so now it's just like, it take, again, it takes a lot to shake me um, or, or upset me because I've been through a lot. I've been to combat. I've lost friends. I've, I've been trashed in the media. I keep on message. I keep doing good things in the world. I believe in karma and good things happen. And I've look those, you know, it's just like chatter in the background to me now. Like people say stuff or send me nasty stuff on social media. I get a lot of good things, more good things, but that stuff doesn't even bother me anymore. It's just like rolls off my, my uh, back, like water on a duck. Um, but anyway, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the the thing that's really woven through your whole story here is is your mindset, and I think that's the most powerful thing. Like, it is the one thing that we have control over is how yeah. we want to look at at the things that we either cause, uh, create, or things that happen to us. Yeah. You know, and that's the empowering piece of it is you can you can choose how you want to react. You can choose how you want to think and feel about it. And you always keeping a positive mindset is is the thread that runs through all of this. And it's I think the most important thing that we can do as human beings is yeah. maybe we want to be resilient and bounce back. Yeah, I watched that Joe Rogan interview with Elon Musk mm -hmm. and that this guy, Elon, I'm a huge fan of Elon. Um, but he, if you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. Cause at least the part where he, uh, Joe asked him like, why do you do the things you do? He's like, look, I have more stuff, more interesting stuff to me out there than electric vehicles and colonizing Mars. He's like, I just feel like that's good for humanity. Um, and then he talks about, you know, him getting attacked in the media and stuff. And Elon was, was like, the world just needs more kindness. And I, I so believe that that's the case, especially now in America, we're so divided. And it's just like a little bit of kindness goes a long way. And just try and put yourself in somebody else's shoes for just a little bit. But we're so quick to kind of just judge and spew hatred. And it's just uh, got to change. I'm with you. Be kind and bring joy and the world yeah. will be a better place. It does. It allows you to be more empathetic and hear other people's stories and, you know, to not be stereotyped. You talked a little bit about that at the beginning, right? I'm stereotyped yeah. you know, because I'm a former Navy SEAL that I should be this certain way. And nobody wants to be put in a box because we all have our own individual stories, our experiences and that, that have shaped us into who we are. And we want to be able to share those stories without being stereotyped. Kindness is a powerful way to break down stereotypes because yeah. it causes you to actually be curious, learn, and be nice and it's amazing what can happen when you do that yeah 100 percent. yeah all right so last question if you had one piece of advice for leaders who want to be the very best at what they do like a navy seal uh what would that be oh i would for sure 
um, surround yourself with people that you admire, um, whether that's through content, like podcasts, reading books, or joining groups like YPO. Um, you and I both been through the Harvard Business School OPM program. Like it, it's just being in those environments are what really uh, shape you as, especially as leaders. Um, so I would just really pay close attention to your surroundings. I feel like some people like being the biggest dog in the room. I, I don't like, I don't like being that way. That's great advice. That would be my advice. That's great advice. All right. So how can people find you? My author website is my full name, brandontylerweb.com. Um, everything's there, like social media, all my all my stuff. So that's the easiest way. It, all my social media is just at Brandon T, as in Tyler Webb, Brandon T Webb. Um, and I'm pretty active on Instagram. I, I manage that account myself, so you can always always find me on there. I'm, and I'm, look, if somebody is respectful and genuinely asking something, I always respond. Like I I have a zero inbox today, so that's great. Great. All right. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story. It's uh, fascinating and inspiring, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. All right. Hang tight, and we'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Have a wonderful day, and I'll see you at the next episode of Reflect Forward.